0: All right. Hey everyone. Happy Wednesday before Christmas. <laughs> um, Sina, I want to talk to you first. Um since I won't be here next week, as far as I know, this is the last time that you'll be the admin when I start. Is that true? Yeah. So I just want to tell you that, it, you know, I'm sure it will feel good to see Shauna or Marisol or whoever's here when I come in, but it always feels good to see you and I'm going to miss you. So I just want to acknowledge that I, you know, I realize I'm feeling a little nostalgic. You know, I realize um, that, you know, we've been looking at your face for a friggin' long time. Yeah. <laughs> <And laughs> And I realize that that, you know, as far as you being the sanctuary director, we are now very, very close to that coming to an end. And I just want to say thank you so much for everything you've done. and I love you. <clears throat> and then,, um, for everyone else, Uh, Next week, I won't be here just because uh, we're taking a little vacation between Christmas and New Year's, which is, you know, I think a lot of people do that. So I won't be here next week. And then the following week, I won't be here because it'll be the first Wednesday of the month, which is when Helen's here. So um, I won't be back until the second week of January, just to get that said out loud. Um, But now we're ready to go into seven steps. And today we are going to begin with, quote, number three six seven. quote number three six seven. It says it is the mind that creates in quotes <laughs> the body by mere thoughts. That is so funny. <laughs> I'll tell you why in just a minute. Um, it's hilarious. It is the mind that creates the body. By mere thoughts. And we're going to go in in a minute and we're going to look at how I contemplated this, you know, 11 years ago. Um, but I will tell you that that quote means something different to me now uh, than it would have two weeks ago. Uh, some of y'all were here last week uh, when I did an unrecorded sharing. And one of the things that I shared about was the fact that the word creation ceased to make sense for me. And since that little story is not on the recording, I'll just go ahead and tell that again real quick. I was uh, walking the dog and uh, listening to Rhoda and David teaching from the Tao Te Ching. And I think specifically they were probably mostly teaching from the Regina Don translation. And there was nothing wrong with what David or Rhoda were saying. I want to say that right up front. It was perfect. You know, what they were saying, the way they were contemplating the teaching was perfect. But one of the things that came out of it was they kept using the word creation. I don't know how many times they used the word creation in that hour, but, you know, several. And every time one of them would use the word creation, I would feel this little intuitive no. No. It wasn't that in any way I was disagreeing with what they were saying. The no was simply to the word creation itself, not the context of how they were sharing. Um, You know, the last time this happened to me, some of you may know, was in November of 2006. That's how big of a deal it was for me. I remember the month and the year (laughs) in November of 2006. Uh, When I was watching people typing in Yahoo groups back then, and they kept using the word attack, and I kept hearing that little intuitive no to the word attack, and ended up asking, is attack real, and receiving a, a message that showed me that there is no such thing as attack, which I won't get into now. You can find videos about that on YouTube if you want to search for it. Well, this was very similar and in, in the intuitive no was the same kind of intuitive no. I kept hearing when I saw the word attack, uh, when I heard the word creation. And again, I was just walking my dog, wouldn't do anything. <laughs> and I guess I must've been looking down because the way I remember it is I looked up and of course when I look up here, I'm looking at you know mountains. Um, I looked up and all of a sudden, I saw that there's no such thing as creation. Uh, the word creation completely stopped making sense to me. Uh, it was obvious that that was a dualistic concept, uh, that it could not possibly be true. <laughs> um, and I remember, you know, thinking, oh my goodness, nobody's ever going to understand this. Like, how You can't explain this. Uh, but actually, uh, I've kind of contemplated and I've come up with a, simplistic way to explain it. So uh, let me share it this way. You all have heard me say before, I've used the analogy when I talk about that it's all God, I u- I've used the analogy before of Play-Doh. And I said, if you take the Play-Doh and you uh, you know make buildings and you make trees and you make automobiles and you make people and pets and all these things, still all you have is Play-Doh. Well, it may seem like you created buildings out of play and you created people out of play et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This shift that occurred for me, it's a very subtle and yet very important shift. This shift that occurred for me is a shift in focus. Instead of seeing like mountains and saying the mountains are made from God, I saw God appearing as mountains. See the subtleness in the shift? It's like instead of looking at a Plato person and seeing a person made out of Plato, you see Plato appearing as a person. It's It's a very subtle shift, yet it is entirely dramatic. Because what happens then is that there is no more duality. There's no more creator and creation. There's no creation at all. Um, So it's kind of interesting to me when I read this quote now, because he even has the word creates in quotes. (laughs) I don't think I even noticed that before when I read this quote. You know, some things you don't see until, you know, well, until you're ready to see them, right? Like Jesus used to say, for those who have ears to hear. You know, and you can't help it if you don't see it yet. You know, it just is what it is. But then when you do, uh, you do. So this says it is the mind that creates the body by mere thoughts. Uh, And of course, creates has to be in quote, because there is no such thing as creation and once upon a time I would have shot a teacher well not really shot a teacher but you know what I, mean? I would not have liked to hear a teacher say there's no such thing as creation I just would not have wanted to hear that <laughs> uh, but it's true but what we're going to do now is we're going to go back and we're going to look at how I contemplated this quote number 367 like I said about 11 years ago so here's what I wrote in out of the stillness We've been asked to be honest beyond the human definition of honesty. To inquire into what is absolutely known by direct experience and to distinguish between reality and mere belief. Since we were given this assignment, I have no idea why I'm talking in the we here, we'll just go with it. (laughs) But if you're wondering who we was, it was me, myself and I, (laughs) this we right here. (laughs) Since we were given this assignment, the question in my mind has been, don't I experience the world directly? Um, However, through contemplation of these last few quotes, I see that I don't experience the world directly. I experience the world through the body. There is I, the body, and then the world. The body is a medium through which I experience. That is not direct experience. This shifts the question. The question is no longer, do I directly experience the world? The question is now, do I directly experience the body? So I just took a really nice sip of cool water. And um, once upon a time, I would have said that I directly experienced that cool water. Um, but what happened when I was contemplating this quote was I began to see, and it's funny because the quote is saying, in effect, that the body is created by the mind. And that's just not where I went in my contemplation because I wasn't ready for that. But it still spun me into a contemplation where I began to look at, okay, Do I direct, do I directly experience a world? And what I saw was I experienced the world through the body. Like if it wasn't for the sense of sight, touch, maybe subtle smell, very subtle with water though. But if it wasn't for sight, touch, taste, and I'm even gonna call it feeling, I suppose it's still touch, but you know, the feeling of drinking the water, touch on the inside um, i would have no experience of of water so what i saw is i do not ever directly experience the world ever um, i even contemplated this further and saw that i do not directly experience my loved ones i do not directly experience my daughter I do not directly experience my dog. Everything is experienced through the body. And this makes inquiring into the body much more important now. I'm not just inquiring into the body because, you know, I read in A Course in Miracles, I am not a body. I am free. I am still God created me. (laughs) I'm starting to realize now everything that I think I know, I know it through this body. So what is this body? What is this body through which I know everything? You know, you could say, am I this body? Uh, You could say, um, you know, is this body real? Uh, You could say, can this body's perceptions be trusted? Uh, The question I chose to ask is, okay, I just discovered that I don't directly experience the world, do I directly experience the body? You know, if I don't inquire into it, it might seem like I do. You know, I have a bellyache, right? I am directly experiencing the body. But I thought that might not be true. I mean, up until five minutes ago, I thought I directly experienced a world and after contemplating this, I can clearly see that I don't. So maybe I don't directly experience a body either. Right, so that's just where this is going. This is moving my level of inquiry, you could say, back one. Right, it's it's sort of another way of asking, what am I? But um, you know, because through finding out that I don't directly experience this, I don't directly experience this, I don't directly experience this, you're eventually going to back up to what I is. Right. Uh, so let me just read this again and, and then we'll move on, I think, unless 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 I come up with something else to say. So uh, number 367 and out of the stillness. We've been asked to be honest beyond the human definition of honesty, to inquire into what is absolutely known. I, I guess I want to do on a pause. I want to look at these words, to inquire into what is absolutely you know I uh, used to be a software trainer and back then when I first started this will tell you how long ago it was when I first started everybody had lotus one two three Do you guys even remember lotus one two (laughs) three some of you guys are old too (laughs) at some point people shifted from lotus one two three to excel and then I started teaching that but when I first started teaching I was teaching lotus one two three and um one of the things that I would teach people, of course, is how to put formulas into a spreadsheet so that as you change the numbers, everything recalculates, But you know, and you don't have to do the math. And, um, oh, there's a roadrunner. Hi there. Oh, how cool is that? You don't see roadrunners every day, do you? No. Oh, he's so, he's like this big, long, super long tail. <laughs> That's fun. Can you show us? Oh, I don't know if you could see it or not. I can try, but, you know, he's moving away as we're talking. And, uh, let me see. runner, oh, And it's not like it's a phone. It's not as easy to show you. Yeah. I don't know if you'll be able to see him. He's moving away. Uh, see, I can't hardly see what I'm showing you. So probably not. He's out there in the yard, but you probably can't see him. Yeah. He's, do you see where the mud and the snow come together? He's right at the edge of that. He obviously, nope. Now he's at the road. He's just moving away too fast, but that was still fun. Um, Anyway, so sometimes when you're, when you're copying formulas, for example, and those of you who know Lotus or Excel will know this, sometimes when you're copying formulas, you want the formula to change as you copy it. But sometimes you want it to point to one number and one cell, and even as you copy it, you don't want it to change. Well, by default in Lotus and Excel, uh, most of the time you do want it to change, so it changes. But if you want it to point to one cell, let's say C4, and no matter where you copy that formula, you always want it to point to C4, you have to make it absolute. And you go in, you put little dot, a dollar sign in front of the C and a dollar sign in front of the four, and that makes it absolute and it will never change. Okay, so all that long story to say. As a result of that experience of being a software trainer, when I look at the word absolutely, What that means to me is never changes, just like in Excel or Lotus 1, 2, 3, when you make a a cell absolute in in a formula, you can copy it anywhere, 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 and it will always stay that same cell that it's pointing to, it won't move. So this says, we've been asked to be honest beyond the human definition of honesty, to inquire into what is absolutely absolutely known by direct experience that's i mean even now like oh my god what is absolutely known by direct experience what is always known never changes and it's not known through any medium that's i mean that's a hell of a question if you really know how to look at those words right that's what is absolutely known by direct experience that's what we're here to find out what is absolutely known by direct experience and and that's why i have to inquire well let's see what i know by direct experience do i know this cup of water by direct experience no because i know it through the body right i know it through touch i know it through sight i know it through taste but it's not direct It has a medium. And in fact, I can say that about the whole world. So it's not just that the world certainly isn't changeless. That's frigginly obvious. (laughs) But I also don't know it directly. Right? And so now I'm going to, like I said, now I'm going to back up a bit and I'm going to inquire next into the body. Is it absolute? And do I know it directly? But let's go back to reading this now that I understand Now that I've explained how how important those words are, absolutely known by direct experience. We've been asked to be honest beyond the human definition of honesty, to inquire into what is absolutely known by direct experience and to distinguish between reality and mere belief. You know, that's also very important And um, nearly every adult does not know the difference between uh, reality and mere belief. Um, You know, uh, you've probably heard this if you've taken true discernment because this is where it stood out to me. The first time I really realized that I was a believing machine uh, was when I was in a discussion with some people Uh, All friends, all on the spiritual path, but each with a slightly different bend, a slightly different way of looking at the spiritual path. And we started discussing Jesus. And I was blown away by what some of these people believed. I'd never heard this stuff before. And they believed it, believed it, believed it. And until I saw what they believed, I didn't even realize that everything that I believed was belief. I thought I knew Jesus, right? You know, like there was one person in the room who and he could go into great detail um, who believed that Jesus was the offspring of an alien and Mary. Um, and that there were gods that lived on another planet and they were able to communicate with Jesus. And that's what son of God meant. Uh, certainly there were people and who knows, maybe some of y'all uh, who believed that uh somewhere between you know jesus becoming somewhat of an adult maybe 18 and 19 and him becoming 30 when he kind of shows up in the new testament that he traveled to india and studied with masters and that all of his wisdom all of his knowing came from that time period in india um you know certainly there were people who believed that mary magdalene you know uh was his wife and And some people even believe he had a son and the son is buried somewhere in what we call Spain today. Um, You know, just, it just went on and on and on and on. And I thought, oh my God, the truth is we don't even know if he existed. We don't know a damn thing about him. We don't know anything. I mean, that's the truth. You know, we get taught all this stuff from the time we're born. And we believe, we're believing machines. And we think we know what the fudge we're talking about. It just blew me away when I realized it. And so what this is saying, this is also a big assignment, just like discovering what is absolutely known by direct experience is incredible. It's also incredible to start telling the difference between reality and mere belief. You know, food is another one. I love to sit in the room with a bunch of people talking about food. What's good for you? What's not good for you? It's ridiculous. You know, my grandma lived to be almost 100 years old. And I I swear to you, she ate a lot of stuff that a lot of people nowadays would say was not good for you. And she ate a lot of it, you know. So we just believe so much stuff and we don't notice that we're believing. So just to take on that assignment, to start noticing the difference between what do I know, not only what do I know by absolute direct experience, but what do I know and what is just a belief? And of course, you know, it's just a belief. It's a ridiculous belief uh, that I'm Regina. What the heck is a Regina? It's a sound. Regina it's a sound somebody put that sound you know gave a name to a baby and and it got put on a birth certificate and everybody began calling that baby Regina and of course it grew and grew and the Regina but to say I am Regina that makes no sense at all I'm a sound I'm a three-syllable sound you know, there's so much stuff that we believe. I see Sina laughing now. That's cracking me up. But there's so much stuff that we believe. It's ridiculous. We don't even, we don't even begin to understand. I remember at one point, you know I'm looking at all this stuff in my own mind, but also looking out there and seeing everybody else is just as foolish as I am. I thought, and we think we grow up. We never grow up. You know, how can you say you've grown up? If you just believe in whatever the heck you want to believe. That's not adult. Um, and in fact, there was one spiritual teacher. His last name was Rose. I can't think of his first name right now. Some of y'all may know him. He used to refer to enlightenment as becoming an adult. That's that's how he, ref- he said you become an adult. You know, finally, right? So back to this, this is the assignment that, Uh, My inner self has given myself, we've been asked to be honest beyond the human definition of honesty, to inquire into what is absolutely known by direct experience and to distinguish between reality and mere belief. That's a heck of an assignment. Since we were given this assignment, the question in my mind has been, don't I experience the world directly? So this is where I started, you know, don't I know that it's daytime? Don't I know that it's sunny? Don't I know that, that that's a magpie? A while ago I saw a roadrunner. Don't I know that this is a chair? Don't I, you know? Well, I have to look and see if it's absolute by direct experience. Oops, I'm gonna hang up on that person. Absolute by direct experience. And what I saw was it's definitely not by direct experience. I, everything I think I know about the world, I experience through the medium of the body. I don't know anything by direct experience. So the question is don't I experience the world directly? However, through contemplation of these last few quotes, I see that I don't experience the world directly. I experience the world through the body. There is I, the body, and then the world. So there's whatever I am, and then the body is the medium, and then the world. There's no way I can experience a world without this medium of the body. The body is a medium through which I experience. That is not direct experience. Can you imagine that? You have never actually directly experienced a world. None of us have. This shifts the question. The question is no longer do I directly experience the world? The question is now do I directly experience? The body. And that's the end of um, that particular contemplation. And it looks like the next one I have is number 372. This is a little longer. 372 in um, Seven Steps to Awakening says, each individual sees only those objects which are rooted in his own mind. When the ideas in the mind do not bear fruits, there is a change in the mind. There follows a succession of births births to suit these psychological changes. It is this psychological connection that creates the conviction in the reality of birth and death, and in the reality of the body. When this conviction is given up, there is cessation of embodiment. I'll tell you right now, I don't know if that's true or not. I would say, ultimately it's not true. Um, You know, as you guys know, I saw in 2012, uh, that nothing in what I call the fourth principle of God, nothing in the world uh, is true. And that would include an experience of reincarnation, that none of that is true. And in fact, if we go back to that word absolute, we're trying to find what is what we know absolutely through direct experience. You know, I was you know, so-and-so in that life. And then I was so-and-so, and and then I was so-and-so that's not changeless, right? That's a lot of change. I was this person. And then I was this person. I was this person. So if you're looking for that absolute truth, uh, you aren't even going to think about reincarnation because it's clear that that's not absolute. However, even though I have no interest in reincarnation, no interest in thinking about it, I'm clear that, that that's dream and not truth. I still see something in this quote. So let's look at it again. Each individual sees only those objects which are rooted in his own mind. I, I gave an example a while ago, prior to you know last Monday, a week and a half ago, when I was listening to the Tao teaching, Uh, I saw creation. Now I don't, you see, as you guys know, if you know my story, once upon a time, I believed in rejection. Now I don't once upon a time I believed in betrayal. Now I don't, you know, um, once upon a time I believed I was (laughs) Regina, I'm Regina. Now I don't, you know, so, so whatever we experience, it's because it is rooted in our mind and genuinely when it's no longer rooted in our mind, when in whatever way it has been uprooted and it and it goes away, you no longer experience it. So it's one thing to say, for example, oh, I don't believe in rejection. <laughs> and then to feel all rejected when somebody doesn't invite you out to dinner with friends. That's That's just... You know, there you are lying to yourself again. That's just BS. That's proving you're, you're not an adult, right? <laughs> Still a kid, 65-year-old kid. Um, it's another thing to not ever see rejection again. Even when people are fighting and breaking up and saying mean things to each other. Um, the way that my mind has seen it ever since the belief in rejection died is it's just people believing their thoughts and acting them out. And that's not the same thing as rejecting someone. Believing your thought is is entirely different. It's just people believing their thoughts and acting them out. So anything that you experience is rooted in your mind. And that's good news because that means you can practice inquiry and somehow, you know, with the help of miracles, with the help of the unseen, you can practice inquiry and it becomes rooted out. And at some point, you can let go of a belief and then you will no longer experience it. I was talking to a friend this morning and I told her, I said, You will know when the I and bad belief is in your rearview mirror. You'll know, right? <laughs> because you won't see it anywhere. You won't. I remember once I was teaching somewhere and some, I was talking about the I am bad belief and some guy raised his hand and he said, he said, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, I don't experience this. I am bad belief. I don't ever think of myself as unworthy. And I said, do you think of anyone as unworthy? <laughs> he didn't answer me. I said, that's the I am bad belief. That's just a projection. You see, when you, when you're, when it's in your rear view mirror, you don't see anybody as unworthy. Right. It's not, you know, you don't feel guilt and shame and unworthiness and and not good enough and inherently flawed and all that stuff that you felt before. But you also don't see it in anyone. It just vanishes. It's just gone. Um, and then it just becomes a kind of a if there was a word that meant sad plus ridiculous, if we had a word. It becomes sad plus ridiculous to watch everybody else believe it. Right? Because you know it's not true. You know they're just spinning their wheels, but there's nothing you can do except just keep seeing them the way you see them and reminding them that it's not true. So back to what this says. Each individual sees only those objects which are rooted in his own mind. When the ideas in the mind do not bear fruits, there is a change in the mind. You know, when you no longer have the I am bad belief, there's not just, he says a change in the mind, but I think what he really means, I think what the word mind in this sentence means is there's a complete change of perception. There's a complete change of experience. There's a complete change of consciousness. This is how you know it's over. Something that used to be there like unworthiness, is no longer there, no matter where you look. Whether you're looking this way or that way, it's just not a part of the scenery anymore. So when the ideas in the mind do not bear fruits, there is a change in the mind. There And then this part, a lot, a lot, a lot. There follows a succession of births to suit these psychological changes. It is this psychological connection that creates the conviction in the reality of birth and death and in the reality of the body now let's get to the last sentence when this conviction is given up there is a cessation of embodiment in other words the belief in the body is no different than the belief in unworthiness or the belief in you know anything else the only reason you experience it is because that belief is rooted in the mind and when you you know, are able to dig that belief out and it vanishes. You no longer experience a body. It's just like the I am bad belief or anything else. That's amazing to me. Now, I can talk about the I am bad belief in past tense, it's in my rearview mirror. As you guys know, I have not yet transcended the belief in the body. And I've talked about that to you, you know, not too long ago with the fear of, you know, lions. And well, we don't have tigers, lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, you know, and dogs, yeah, lions and dogs and bears. Oh my here, <laughs> oh yeah, you know, that like, you know so you can tell that the belief in the body is still there. Um. But what that means is that belief is in the mind. It's no different than the I am bad belief. No different than the belief in betrayal. No different than the belief that um, in attack. I mean, you know, just go on and on and on to all these things that have fallen away. This is just another belief rooted in the mind. So what do I do with that? The same thing I did with all the other beliefs. I practice inquiry i remember to the degree that i can remember the difference between truth and illusion i hold back to the degree that i can hold back from acting on the belief in the body i rest accept and trust whenever any fear or anything else comes up any emotional stuff comes up around belief in the body one thing that i've always loved i call it, you know it's i originally called it forgiveness then i called it letting go some people don't know what either of those words mean but it's transcending a belief is really what they mean. And one thing I've always liked about the practice of forgiveness or the practice of letting go is that it doesn't matter what you are working on right now. The practice is the same, right? You don't have to learn when you've now you've transcended the I am bad belief, but you're looking at the truth is not true belief. You don't have to learn a whole new set of tools. You apply the same set of tools to that. And then you've transcended that, but now you're looking at the, I am a body belief. You don't have to learn a whole new set of tools. You apply the same set of tools to that, right? So it's simple. It may not be easy, but it's simple. You just learn a certain set of tools. You learn how to use them, when to apply them, and you just keep doing that no matter what it is you seem to be working on right now. So when this conviction is given up, the belief in the reality of the body, there is a cessation of embodiment. And you know what he says, a cessation of embodiment. I don't think that means, in fact, I'm certain that doesn't mean that poof, like if right now, if right now that belief was rooted up, just like the creation belief was for me about a week and a half ago, if it just happened right now, it's not like this body would poof be gone. It's not the rapture. (laughs) Um, I would just, the word I would just have nothing to do with this body anymore. I would not mean that. And to some degree, I still does mean that. Otherwise I could not feel unsafe, right? And again, this reminds me of that conversation with Nizargadatta when the man is like, "I see you sitting there smoking a cigarette." And Nizargadatta says, "It's your I am the body belief that sees me smoking a cigarette." So just like I said it was a, it was a dramatic but a subtle shift that shifted from seeing um, the mountains as God to seeing God appearing as mountains, very subtle and yet dramatic. Um, it would be a subtle yet dramatic belief, or a shift to suddenly see I is in no way rela- related to body. You know? So all of this stuff, even that, is rooted in the mind. So all of this work is mind work. By the way, I loved George's homily. Um, Was it last Sunday? Seems like a year ago, was it last Sunday? (laughs) That's hard to believe. (laughs) Time, Time just has, I have no sense of time anymore. But I loved his homily. You know, I loved how he said, that, you know, he went to uh, Angelo's online retreat and there was so much meditation. He thought, oh, meditation must be really important. <laughs> and then he reads Angelo's book and he gets to whatever chapter and Angelo points out that, you know, meditation's okay, but you know, you what you really need is inquiry. And that made a big impression on George. Right. That made a big impression because he for the last couple of months has been leaving. Oh, meditation must be so important Angelo. And then he see, oh, George is right here. I'm talking about you behind your back, George. You got to turn around. <laughs> and, then, and then he sees, there you go. Now I can talk about George. And then he sees, um, and then he sees, oh, wait, it's inquiry. And I love, George, how you also went over the list of the reasons we don't practice inquiry. I just, I really, I know you didn't see me. I was listening on the radio, but I was there and, and I heard all of it. Um, I just love that because if this is a work of the mind, if that's where all this believing is happening and that's where this believing is going to be uprooted, do you think you could do it without inquiry? I don't see how, I don't see how, you know what the word, how inquiry looks for different people may be different you know, Ramana Oharshi kept teaching, who am I? And apparently, I mean, we we know who am I worked for him. That was when he was having that uh, panic attack and he decided to pretend like he was dying and see if he could find out who he really was, right? It's really the who am I question. And he woke up. But would you believe that might not be the inquiry that will work for you? You have to find your questions that are going to take you on a sincere looking To see what's going on here and you'll find those questions with intuition you know angelo has some great suggestions in his book if you look through out of the stillness i think you're going to find some great suggestions Uh, and all of these suggestions may help you with your own inquiry but in the end you have to practice your inquiry right but you have to genuinely look in my humble opinion, with the desire to discover the truth. What's true here? What's the difference between truth and belief? And again, who am I is a big part of that question, right? Who am I? So what I see in this quote in 372 is this is saying everything that you're experiencing is rooted in your mind. So the place where you need to go looking to find out where you think you're experiencing things directly when you're not uh, why you suffer who you think you are and who you really are the place you have to go is and look is the mind and you do that with inquiry you do that by asking questions i'm going to go look at um Out of the stillness now, number 372. Um, So after contemplating that quote we just read, from my life experience, I know that beliefs change over a lifetime. And you guys probably all know that too, right? How many of you believe exactly the same thing that you did when you were 19 years old? Yeah, not one of us. So we know that beliefs change over a lifetime. From my life experience i know that beliefs change over a lifetime i also know that as belief changes i experience the world and the body differently that seems to show that there is a connection between mind and the experience of the world and body doesn't that mean that neither world or body are experienced directly? How many of you all, this is a very basic question, but how many of you all at any time in your life for any minute have felt attractive at any point? How many of you all at any point in your life for any minute have felt like the ugliest or the most unattractive person on the planet. Okay, now think about one. Of the, think about one of those moments when you felt attractive, just to the degree that you can remember how that felt. You know, I can remember myself. You know, young and you know, out on the town, a little, bu- a little drunk, but you know, I, I felt like Miss Popular, right? I was happy, and you know, uh. now. Think about how you felt when you felt like the ugliest or the most unattractive person in the world. That feels pretty lousy. Might even want to hide, you know, hide, not even see anybody, right? Not go out. Funny thing is one could have been Saturday. The other could have been Sunday. Yeah, you know, that's true, right? So. In one, we think the body is really, oh, you know, this is kind of nice. I'm going to go out here. And the other, like, oh, we're experiencing the exact same body, possibly from one day to the next, entirely different. Why? Did the body change from Saturday to Sunday? I mean, sure, maybe you had two pieces of cake last night, you know, (laughs) but did the body really, really change from Saturday to Sunday? Yeah, the mind, Sina says. You see how powerful? So do you really, are you directly experiencing the body? Or are you seeing it through a mind? Yeah, the mind. You see the world. Now that makes the world twice removed. Because you're seeing the world through the body but you see the body through the mind. So now the world is twice removed. So you don't experience that world directly at all. Think about all of the feelings you have had about things that have happened in the world, including your personal life, right? Either out there or in your personal life, but in the world. Think about all the feelings, you know, the whole gamut of feelings that you've had about things that are happened in the world and then pause for a moment and realize none of that was direct. That was all filtered through the body, through the mind. You know, you thought it was me being terribly upset about this but you're back here and this is out here and you're going through two distortion mechanisms if you think about it it's 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 amazing So, from my life experience, I know that beliefs change over a lifetime. I also know that as belief changes, I experience the world and the body differently. Way different when I think I'm cute than when I think I'm a fat pig, right? (laughs) Way different. That seems to show that there is a connection between mind and the experience of world and body. Doesn't that mean that neither? world, or body are experienced directly. Let's see, 374 looks a little long, but let's see what happens. Let's get a start on it and see what happens. <clears throat> so 374, the quote from Seven Steps to Awakening. He sees the truth who sees the body as a product of deluded understanding. And as the fountain source of misfortune, and who knows that the body is not the self. I'll just read that one more time, then we'll go directly to out of the stillness. He sees the truth, who sees the body as a product of deluded understanding, and as the fountain source of misfortune, and who knows that the body is not the self. All right, let's look at my contemplation of that. The body is a representation of a misunderstanding about what I am. To experience the body and call it me is to define a portion of total experience as having core importance. When a portion of total experience has core importance, the duality of good and bad is perceived pleasure and suffering are experienced. That's because perception is judged from the perspective of core importance. One who knows the true self knows all that is as the self. There is no part of all that is with core importance. Without core importance, the duality of good and bad does not exist. I was just about to say, this example pops in my mind every time. Here it comes again. This can be seen if you watch a hawk. When a hawk takes a robin's egg from a nest to eat, it is bad if core importance is given to the robin. It is good if core importance is given to the hawk. So is it good or bad or is it simply is? So what happened to me as I was contemplating this, is I saw a direct connection between calling this me, this body and mind, between calling this me and perceiving duality. Because if I call this me, well, then this suddenly becomes very important. Do you agree? And now everything else in experience is judged according to how it affects this. So today is a bad day because even though it's warm and even though I saw a road runner and I saw a hawk and I saw a, 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 a herd of antelope you know, even though oh, and I saw a bluebird and, you know, oh, and I saw a magpie, but it's bad day because it's muddy out there. And when you go out there, the mud here has so much clay and it, it just sticks to your shoes. You can't get it off. I've got a brand new house that I want to keep clean. I got to walk the damn dog in the damn mud. See how that works? <laughs> Suddenly she's a damn dog. She makes me go out in the damn mud. And then get my floor dirty. (laughs) You know, it just perception is distorted through me. That's the fact of the matter. We're not experiencing anything directly, we're not experiencing the world directly. We're experiencing it first through the body. But then through the mind, and especially through the idea of me. And that distorts everything. Nothing is seen clearly. And we think we're experiencing all directly. I I am directly experiencing the, the damn mud that is clinging to my shoes, I think. So it's important to realize that me is a distortion mechanism. And what happens to me and some of you guys know that there's been stuff going on here lately. I promise not to talk about it on a recording, but some of you all know, and it's not stuff that most people would write down as good. Do you agree? But you saw that it did not affect me. The reason it did not affect me is because it was not seen through the distortion mechanism of me. You see, if it was seen through the distortion mechanism of me, I would have had to be upset. Because You know, like my mom was upset. So my mom said something like, your youth was stolen. See how you can do that? My whole life was wasted. You know, I could have had a whole different life if it hadn't been for this. See how that distortion mechanism works? So that's one thing that we wanna watch for. If everything that we experience is being experienced because it's in the mind, the primary problem that's in the mind through which we are experiencing everything is the distortion mechanism of me. So that means one question we can ask sometimes, I mean, the same question doesn't work in every circumstance, right? But if this were not happening to me, would I be as upset about it? If this happened to somebody else, would I think it was a big deal? You know, Nizar Nisargaddi used that in an extreme experience, in extreme circumstance once with someone else. Uh, Someone came to him whose son, if I remember correctly, was killed in a car crash six months ago. And I think his son was probably, you know, like a very young adult. And this man was distraught, 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 which sounds so normal. Very distraught. And Nizar Gadada said something to him like, Do you know how many thousands of people have died today? Are you distraught over them? You know what he was po- It sounds rude if you don't know what he's pointing at. It's like, if that's an asshole thing to say. What he's pointing at is that you're seeing this through the me. You're experiencing this through the me. And Nizargadatta went on to say, "It is normal when a close relationship passes, you know, to to have a a short period of mourning. I think Nizargadatta may have said something like three or four days, but he said six months later. This is in the mind. Now that doesn't mean that you might not see a picture of your son and feel some sadness. I don't want to." to point that out, but, but do you agree? Can you agree that thousands of people have died today and not one of us has shed a tear? So do you see how important things are when they happen to me? And that me is a distortion mechanism. And maybe we should begin to question if, If I'm really having a direct experience with this, that is necessarily upsetting? Or is this just thoughts in the mind that need to be questioned? And uh, we're out of time. Can you say something fast? Yeah, say something fast, Melissa. Oops, can't hear you at all. Okay, we'll let it go because we're out of time. Sinan wants to go on her break, so we'll let it go. Um, again, I won't be here next week and I won't be here the next week. So the the second Wednesday in January, whatever that date is, um, that's when as far as I know, I'll see you. But you know what? That's so far away, I can't even say that for sure. <laughs> that's what's in my calendar next, okay? Bye, everyone.